Today on episode number 236 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Hakan Erstelik speaks about arts-based studio pedagogy. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak. And this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Today's guest, Dr. Hakan Erstelik, is a professor of management in the College of Business Administration at the Sacramento State University. He received his PhD in Organizational Behavior from the University of British Columbia, Canada. He holds a double major degree in Management and Political Science and an MBA from Bosphorus University, Turkey. His research focuses on the role of emotions in organizational life, including such topics as discrete emotions in organizations, including loneliness and anger, surface acting, emotions in leadership, emotional climate, emotions and decision-making, and emotional awareness in cross-cultural business communication. He also leads, as you'll hear about in a bit, the annual CBA Film Festival and the Interdisciplinary CBA Organizational Wisdom Studio Project. Akan, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you, Bonnie. It's my pleasure to be here. You are one of those people who, the instant I started reading about your work and your teaching, I was completely enthralled. <laughs> but the other thing that I know, at least from having done this podcast as many years as I have, is that there's always more to the story. If we just catch you now where you are running this film festival about your discipline, which is not theater, which is not film, if we just catch these glimpses of the magnificent work you're doing now, what we miss is that all of us have a far greater capacity in our teaching than we might even realize. So I wonder if we could start with the before picture. <laughs> Would you share about your teaching before you started some of these more innovative practices and just some of the indicators that you had that things weren't quite going the way you wanted them to as a teacher? Yes. I mean, first of all, I strongly believe that uh, you always grow as a professor. And you have to grow as a professor because not only the contents change, but also students change, times change, you change. And I think we, we, we should constantly be aware of that. And I don't see that as intimidating. I, I see that as, as being fun. I'd rather being like 30 years from now, be someone who's still trying to do something better than a board professor who has been doing the same thing again and again for 20 years. So I think this is important. So uh, the, the, um, going back to your specific question, so uh, I'm a professor of organizational behavior, and I teach business communications and leadership and emotional intelligence courses. And, and all the courses that I teach uh, require a lot of focus on building interpersonal skills uh, and also go beyond that and start thinking about interpersonal dynamics so people can actually start thinking differently about how they can relate with one another in organizational environments. We've got 
a huge streamline of research and theories around these topics. You got our textbooks, you got our research. And yet, once all those materials make to these printed, published materials, they start um, losing some of the, the, the vibe, the juice of the, some of the topics. And one of these topics is emotions, because there's a huge nonverbal component of uh, emotional experiences. And the, the facial expressions, the body gestures, how people uh, give pauses in their speeches, how they they start um, cutting each other in their conversations uh, and so forth. I mean, there's this wide range of elements that play a huge role in how we relate in our work environments. And the challenge is that if you are teaching emotions and if you are not really tapping into those domains, you are, you are being too cognitive when teaching emotional topics, which is fine to a certain extent because then that makes you emotionally more intelligent and aware at the, at the cognitive level. But still, when it comes to the intuitive level or uh, the, even the interaction level, you really need to get your hands more dirty. So when I was teaching, for instance, those uh, leadership theories way back, I always felt the need to put out something there that shows that more like a juicy, dirty, relational, intuitive, counterintuitive aspects of, of, of that th specific theory. So I, I used to show some movie clips. I would do some uh, interactive exercise. I always say, I, I, since the beginning of my career, I've always been interactive in my courses. So mm -hmm. th that's not innovative to me. It's, it's, it's been my practice. But I, uh, I, I realized that this is not enough. So I really need to get my students going to use different tools to start exploring those nonverbal elements, which led me to uh, the idea of uh, having my students, in addition to writing a paper uh, and designing some workshops, uh, these are senior level HR students. Um, and what if um, these students actually produce a film project where they can capture not only the verbal, but also the nonverbal elements to literally reverse engineer a leadership theory uh, and by reverse engineering, I mean unpacking a theory to show in a quote-unquote real-life organizational setting. So they are given a theory and a theoretical problem, and then they get training in their acting and movie editing, and, and they get their tests on, on the leadership theories, and then they get uh, some uh, training on uh, comedy because the films have to be comedy projects uh, for a reason, because you just get sharper. I think uh, it's, it's more creative and also it's lighter. Uh, and also it helps you push the boundaries and get out of the box to create the humor out of the uh, situation. And also for our film festival purposes, it's more fun uh, for the audience to, to, to think about the, the topics. So they get all these trainings and then they write a script, literally unpacking a theory that they're assigned to, such as transformational leadership. So they have to go to that theory, really read it with a different lens, almost like an executive producer lens. If I were to uh, create a movie out of this theory, what would I do? And, uh, and not only that, if I were to tie that to emotional intelligence, how can I do that? So then they start writing their script and then we start meeting and then that's the most fun part because then I start learning also. So I give them a lot of feedback on, you know, how the dynamics might be improved between the characters, whether there are enough characters in the story, whether maybe there are too many characters, how about the flow, how about the, the plot. So with all that, now we are in a different realm. We are in the film domain, but yet, and yet we are still 
exploring organizational behavior materials, which makes everybody really engaged and, and quite fresh in a way. Everybody is fresh in their thinking while doing all that. I want to go back to a couple things that you said. And, and then after that, I actually want to start getting a little tangible about how does a person do this? Because <laughs> could it be possible for someone who didn't have a technical background in these kinds of things to, to reach out and do these sorts of experimentation? So one thing that you said is that you want your students to experience it. That was the phrase that you used. And then what was implied in what else you said is that you want others to experience it. The very nature of that it is a film that they are producing and that you have a film festival that you put on with the students, that changes the dynamic. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast of just, first of all, the motivation, right? Off the charts, because I'm not just doing this for Hakan. I'm doing this for a much broader audience. But exactly. then also, it does help reduce the any sort of temptation for plagiarism, academic integrity issues. And like you said, it's also fun. It is fun. And there's also this backstage process, though. As much as the, the festival event is really fun and we all enjoy and all my students are now, you know, like it's kind of a nice closure to them. The back end story is a lot of the times full of anxiety and stress. Yes, yes. I didn't expect until I started this doing this project and I'm doing it for the, the eighth year. It's been almost a decade now. Uh, but the first few years, I was just assuming that students would get just excited as, as much as I am. Yeah. <laughs> because I ignored the fact that they don't have the background that I have personally. I mean, I'm not a professional trained actor, but I've done some acting when I was an undergrad and I, and I had my theater group in, at UBC, University of British Columbia. As a grad student, we performed our productions. I've always been you know, interested in emotions. And then I realized, you know, my students are just senior level undergrad students, and some of them might have had no training at all in any of these. So even if I provide the training that, of course, I was very careful about, I, I wasn't really aware of the emotional processes. And then I realized that I need to do a lot of emotion management in that process for my students, acknowledging their anxiety and then uh, addressing that. And making them feel that this is normal and also showing them the light at the end of the tunnel, how things will be in the film festival because probably our audience is surprised and not to mind because anybody who's in an artistic process is usually freaking out mm -hmm. until they put out their work to the world. So they, they, my students are, are always very scared all the way to the film festival events because they don't know what kind of a response they will get from, from the world, literally. And I think this is part of the process because then that really pushes them to go beyond duties. And my students spend a lot more time in these projects than they are required to. They could just make a project and submit it. I mean, they go to the extremes to make it more refined, more creative. They, they really put in a lot of effort to put out something that they feel proud about. And I think that's, that's really important because these are not uh, like small kids who are just learning basic knowledge. These are university students who in a few years will become our next generation adults and, and managers uh, in the industry. And so they have a say. They are intelligent, mature people who should be able to 
bring their voice to the world with the types of works they are doing. And a lot of the times their work is just graded and put in a, in a box or in a, in a shelf and get dusted there until they get shredded. And so the only people that read their work is their professor and maybe their family member and that's it. But these film projects are becoming an inventory right now. I've got, I'm sitting on a, a, about 48 different film projects and some of these film projects have been presented around the world. In uh, Copenhagen uh, Studio Design, the World Summit, I was invited there in Vancouver, Canada at the Academy of Management. Uh, I visited Sorbonne in Paris and the SCP universities. I presented the films there and, and the films are gonna be presented online. And some of these films I use regularly in my other cl- classes when I teach leadership topics and which my students love so these products are becoming artistic slash scientific permanent materials that's going out to the world that can be utilized by anybody actually my colleagues at the academy from around the world are are, are, keep asking me so when are these materials going to be fully available so that we can actually uh, also use them in our classes uh, or even in our research so I, i think it really brings in a lot of creativity determination and also opportunity for our students and for our for ourselves I mean, as academics for our schools uh, and also a great a vibrant environment where we can create conversations around these projects i want to ask just a few quick questions how many people in an uh, average class of this type so this is a special topics class so the, the class size is around 30 okay so i would say somewhere between 25 to 30 And then how many groups in a class of 25 to 30? Four. And it has to be four. So depending on how many students then drop, some semesters students get really, okay, what is this? So they drop, which I understand. And I make it very clear in the very first day of class. I, I make my students aware of the fact that this is not a typical course. Uh, so I, I read the syllabus to the detail and I explain what the expectations are. And I also encourage them and I tell them, you know what, this is you know an opportunity for you to explore, but do not expect a mainstream course experience. There's a lot to explore in this class. Some semesters, maybe it's a contagious effect, like, Students get excited, so people stay. And in some semesters, you know, some students drop. So sometimes we are like, you know, 23, uh, 24 students, but always four teams because of the nature of the whole thing is structured because of emotional intelligence dimensions and also the film festival event. uh, We cannot have too many films and also the, the teams should be large enough so there are enough resources in them for different acting, technical skills, and so forth. So always four teams and students somewhere between, I would say, like 23, 25 to 30. And what is the requirement for the group members in terms of are there things that you do to set up that there's some greater likelihood everybody makes a significant contribution? And what do those contributions have to look like? Do they have to be in front of the camera or can they be behind the scenes? That type of thing. Well, this is one of the three projects that they do. So they work, they're constantly working in different, this is a very intense course because it's a special topics course on leading with emotional intelligence. Also it's HR course, human resource management course. So first of all, we we cover all the basic leadership theories at at quite a high level. Uh, And then um, we, move to the emotional intelligence book, Meyer and Soloway's emotional intelligence book. So they learned that book also. And then they design uh, a workshop to improve each other's emotional intelligence skills. 
And in the meantime, they start researching two different emotions, one positive and one negative. Uh, and then they do some psychology research. And then they bring that into the human resource management domain. What are the implications of love and loneliness, for instance, for employees? And how can leaders, uh, employees move from loneliness to love through their behavior? So they do a lot of thinking and they get their midterm. They write a paper on it. So they do all those things. So And then the film festival is is, is almost like an add-on to all these different processes. So the teams are already there mm-hmm. and they write a contract uh, stating out each other's expectations and then they evaluate each other's performance. So their grade depends not only what they get from their projects, but also how they evaluated one another. And simply because of that system, very, very rarely I, I see the problems of free writing. I think students are usually, usually get fully engaged. Actually, my challenge is students get sometimes overly engaged, which is which in itself becomes a problem too. Because then there's this competition that you need to manage. There's a trophy, kind of a quote-unquote trophy. Uh, I think students made a big deal out of it in the, er, earlier in the process, in the previous years. Uh, so I'm, I'm making it very clear now. This is just part of the show. It's kind of, uh, you know, Oscar touch uh, in the film festival event. So it's not like the one film is wins. And yet I still keep it there though. Uh, so there's still kind of a, this sweet level of competition. And also the engagement level this is what I heard from one of my colleagues a few years ago, actually at the, at the academy in Vancouver, and he said that, have you ever realized, you know, that this project is is truly a team project? Because in a lot of the other courses, we think that we are giving team projects to our students, but actually these are group projects, simply mm-hmm. because what happens is that students just get together and then they divide the work and they do it. So they don't really put out their specialty skills. They do not create a lot of interdependency. So they just get the job done. In the film project, everybody has a specific role. And it's not really like they cannot exchange roles, uh, especially once they get started with the project. At the minimum, their roles in the film projects are, are, are like they cannot exchange them. So they have to really build in their own specialty to the project. And I think for that reason, the team dynamics really are in place. And one of the challenges with the team dynamics is the competition. So when you have an overly you know, driven team and you've got more of those, so all of a sudden you've got these students really striving for, for, for perfectionism. So one challenge that I still have, for instance, is once people start getting perfectionist, they are less likely to start getting feedback from others. So, and I got used to this now. My students would never ever show me their film projects until they submit it. They are very sensitive when I give feedback to them on one on a scene that they've already produced. Even on a screen a script level, now I think they are better at that. And I tell them that you know what, we're gonna really go inside out of the script because I know you get a lot more sensitive and you put it out there. So they are very, very sensitive to feedback. And I'm overcoming this challenge right now as a professor of trying out different ways. But I think it's this artistic tendency also that makes them overly sensitive, overly team-driven group of students who are really getting uh, engaged with their projects because of the the public nature of of the whole thing, because they are it's a festival event, and that brings us to the studio components, which we'll probably be talking about later. But they, they feel like there's something that's quite different, but also that's quite important. And before we do talk more about the studio component, do you get support from other people on the campus as far as if students need help? What 
video? How do they video it? What what technology oh, do they use? Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, I couldn't have get this project done without the the habitat that I have at the Sacramento State University with my colleagues and collaborators. I, I mean, I, it's, it's more than a few dozen people on a continual basis. I mean, some of them play a very important role, you know, technically, and some of them simply by attending the festival events. I mean, they do it because they also love it. Uh, it's not like out of obligation, but some of my uh, partners, uh, I need them. Uh, and so we built uh, all the relationships. So for instance, uh, my students get their film editing training uh, in our Academic Information Resource Center, ARC. Ms. Corinne Matos, I just want to say a big thank you to her from here. My former students, she's been in this project since they've started. And there's been some organizational changes in that office. And yet this Whatever happens, we make sure that we adjust ourselves to get it going so that my students get proper training with film editing. The, the film, the acting component. So I'm collaborating with the best actress in town, Miss Elizabeth Nanziado from BC Theater and AK Media. So she every year comes and trains my students on acting. And then I do also an acting session about the, the comedy acting. So this is one component. I periodically work with uh, film students or film graduates, graduates of film school who come and uh, teach about different camera techniques. These days I'm outsourcing some of these uh, because there are a lot of now also uh, video tutorials. So I'm creating kind of a little list of these resources for my students, which are publicly available. So these are some of the external resources that I get. The event organization in itself is, is another thing. So like the, uh, uh, Miss Angela Park-Gerard, our, our administrative person, who, who takes care of a lot of things, uh, Heather Lotiero, because we invite literally about 195 people to campus, uh, on and off campus, business executives and professors, artists, people from other universities. We usually have a guest speaker coming in. Uh, and uh, so we, we do some catering. We try to reserve the largest auditorium on campus, the parking arrangements. I mean, a lot of people are involved. And then the recording components and then the post-production components, which is kind of on the slower end because once we are done with the, with the film festival project, there's always something else. But now actually I'm doing a better job with managing my priorities and time so that these projects will be publicly available very soon to the world. Oh, I can't wait. And so before we get to the recommendations segment, what do you have to share about the studio aspect of all of this? So the studio design is, a, is an emerging trend in, in education in general, and even beyond that, and definitely in management education. And the idea of studio design is... You are literally utilizing your classroom as a studio environment where you bring in people, which are your students, uh, and even maybe some experts who come in and come and go to train your students about certain things. Like in our studio, like what does an artist do in a studio? It's their corner, insular corner where they create. Eventually, though, it doesn't stop there. Studio is a studio only when you have an exhibit so that people outside the studio come in and, and they start observing your work. So I was invited to the studio summit organized by the Copenhagen Business School, the, the Academy of Art Management, especially the participants. And in a summit, it was a summit, people all around the world. They, they do different things in different fields. So we got together. And actually, our film project was one of the projects that we analyzed in, in a group, which helped me a lot to make sense of what I'm doing from a studio pedagogy design perspective. So what happens in studio design is that you are bringing in a lot of resources 
and create a minimum structure, which brings in the art space component, where students have to define a lot of the, the structure by themselves. And yet, it's not just anything goes environment either. So they are given some strict purposes, not even goals, but purposes. And then they are let known that it's okay to make some errors. But what we want you from is that be in touch with external world and make those connections and put out something there. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's brilliant. Because if it's perfect, you got to get all the answers right. Then you get a midterm. In this project, that's not the case, which actually is, is quite interesting because that helps my students to push the boundaries. And so when they produce their field projects, their projects actually, a lot of the times, not only explore a given theory, but they build propositions about this theory because of the stories that they create. Mm. And most of the times they are not aware of this because they are not experts in the field. But my colleagues who are experts in the field, when they view these films, they say, wow, I never thought about this part of the theory before. And yeah. there it is. Here's the story now. So I get a lot of research questions, ideas myself. So going back to the studio discussion, though, so that studio idea that opens literally the boundaries of your classroom to the world. So with our festival events, we are expanding our boundaries and then we are inviting people. We've got regulars. People come in every year to our film festival events. So they come in and then we present the films the first time, all of them there with the live uh, judge panel. We've got about 10 to 15 judge panel, including professors, business executives, artists, filmmakers, literally viewing and judging the films right there. And then we tell the scores in the panel discussion and we've got this winner with a trophy, the Oscar you know, influence and so forth. So we do all that, but while doing all that, we create an environment that's quite unique. It's real, it's beyond classroom, it's during our class time, but it is something that's, I think they're one of the very few schools in the world doing this in a business school. And this is what we call studio because then the live discussion that happens right there and then with a large group of quite interested and surprised people because we have a live panel session. We create a lot of ideas right at that event, which I find every year very fascinating and rewarding. Oh, it sounds amazing. I am so pleased to hear, and I know we've only skimmed the surface of all of your work and just how you're able to take what can often be an apathetic thing, just get me through this class, you know, I want to check the box <laughs> and really ignite people's imagination and help them stretch themselves. I love that also the part that you shared too about how the stress is there and you could try to get rid of the stress, but if you get rid of the stress, you sometimes get rid of the learning and learning can be hard and can be stressful, but you're there as a support and also they are experiencing these very emotions that you are sharing about. So it's all very, it's very meta. I love the word imagination. And I think oh, that's yeah. something that we should all think a lot more carefully, especially in these days, to, to bring more deliberately into our curriculum. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Einstein uh, once stated decades ago, like imagination is a lot more important than knowledge. Because with the imagination, you start putting out alternative realities that we then eventually make a reality, some of them. But the imagination is, is so important for human being. That should be like the basis of education. Because computers do, information technology does a lot of the knowledge component of what we do anyways. I mean, in, in an age where we are now contemplating, should we have robots do some of these you know, yeah. works? I, I think our competency 
gradually is getting more and more on the imaginative side now until the time when we can when we will produce machines that can actually imagine but this is whether we like it or not might be our our sole competence right now in our competition with technological worlds so we have to really help our students to start using their uh, imaginations in in methodological manners imagination is not just you know, are born with it, like people admire for you. No, I think imagination is something that we should all, in a very disciplined fashion, start building, developing, and also teaching and utilizing in our curriculum, in our educational practices. Yeah, and the only way to do that is to remove some of the structure, as you said, and that can be very scary. For <laughs> We're going into a messy, a messy part of teaching, but an exhilarating part of teaching, too. So um, this is the point in the show where we each get to share our recommendations. And I have two that I'd like to share. So I wanted to say thank you to Marco Noguez. I apologize, Marco, if I'm saying your, your name wrong, but he said that he's become a fan of the podcast. And on a recent episode, I had said how much I enjoyed this song, but that I wished I had researched who originally sang the song. And he says that this is on Twitter, a, a tweet from him, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm also a big fan of Brazilian music. Uh, Guas de Marco is the original version of the song you shared and was written by Tom Jobin. So I'm just going to play a little bit of Guas de Marco. Yeah, great. Yeah. É pedra, é o fim do caminho É o resto de toco, é um pouco sozinho É um caco de vidro, é a vida, é o sol É a noite, é a morte, é o laço, é o anzol É peroba do cão, é o pó da madeira I have the benefit of seeing the video on my screen, and that was uh, 1974. We're looking at Elise Regina and Tom Dobin and... I was born in 1971, and so I know my because now that he he shared the song, I thought, oh, my thing for my dad must have played this when I was little too. Although I don't know if he did it in Portuguese, but I think it's so much more beautiful in Portuguese. So I would recommend people go and listen. And the other recommendation I have comes from not a great happy story. Back on episode number two thirty. If you have been listening since then, then you will know I had a chance to talk to Peter Kaufman. And you will know that in the second half of that episode, he shared about his terminal cancer diagnosis. And sadly, I saw yesterday in the comments, thank you to Alex, who shared uh, a link to the post from New Paltz, uh, EDU. And it's a post about college mourns the passing of Peter Kaufman, professor of sociology. It is with sadness that we share the news of the passing of professor sociology. Peter Kaufman, on November 19th, he was 51. He joined the faculty in 1999 after earning his PhD in sociology from Stony Brook University. He received continuing appointment in 2006 and was promoted to professor in 2014. And I encourage those of you who heard that episode and who have had your life touched by Peter to go look at the link over to New Paltz and see the celebration of his life. There are some amazing pictures of him and his colleagues. There is a wonderful video of a conversation on death and dying there's the post that we spoke about in that conversation, A Sociology of My Death, and Peter Kaufman's Twitter feed, and also the episode that I was able to share with him 
on November 8th, the Teaching in Higher Ed episode. So I am so sad, and I know so many of you who he has touched your life are so sad about his passing as well. And I'm just so glad to have gotten to know him a little bit and to go see all the ways in which his work will continue to make all of us just be better educators. And so as raw and hard as it is to navigate through that, it's worth it, I think, because he has so much still that he can teach us, even though he is no longer with us. So rest in peace, Peter. And we are sad and we will miss you. And Hakan, I warned you in advance. <laughs> I said, I don't think I can do it. And I couldn't. <laughs> and I relate to this. I, I so... <laughs> I appreciate this. Yeah. I, I think you're probably listening to you now. And as you mentioned, I think that's one of the best things about being an educator in that you you leave so many pieces to the world, even after you are gone with the people that you educate. So I think we've got this privilege and responsibility that we are more likely to be remembered than many other people in other professions, simply because when you make a difference in somebody's life, they don't forget it and they, they keep remembering you. So that's, I'm sure he'll be remembered uh, with, with his students and with his colleagues uh, and the, the people that he made an influence. On. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you have to recommend for us today? <laughs> so I would like to recommend two websites that are reflective of what's happening in our domain, uh, just to bring in uh, more imagination. But before that, I would like to, uh, at a broader level, uh, recommend uh, a book uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, A Hundred Year of Solitudes. That's my most favorite book. And ironically, being a researcher on loneliness, I, I find this book fascinating, all the imagination and then the social analysis of, of an era that kind of crosses the boundaries between reality and unreality, but deeply getting into the uh, the human psychology. So that's one thing that I would you know recommend people uh, mm. to read. Uh, and um, I would like to also uh, mention those two uh, projects that we have been working on. Uh, one of them is the film festival that you just mentioned. So there's a website for it called www.csus.edu slash CBA slash film festival. And this is where we provide some of the basic information uh, about the film festival project we've been doing in the past eight years and some links for some of the sample film projects. And most importantly, uh, this year we had to postpone our event because of the, the fires and low air quality and which created a lot of challenges to finding a room so and which kind of pushed the boundaries for us so wearing my innovative hat I took some courageous actions uh, and also with the luck uh, so we are collaborating with our uh, university uh, creative services studio so we are having uh, an event for a smaller audience because the event will be in uh, a studio but on the bright side it will be a professional recorded event more like a Donahue show. Uh, so we'll be moderating. There's going to be a lot of discussion about the film projects. And also we will be posting all these this year's film projects to that website. So those of you uh, who are interested to learn more about leadership, and especially this year, our focus is on uh, loneliness, how we can help employees overcome their workplace loneliness and how leaders can help them. Uh, I think this is a great opportunity. Uh, we might even create a domain where people can start providing their own uh, insights and so forth. The, the second project, uh, which is kind of an extension of our film project, is a, an interdisciplinary platform that we create among academics, artists, executives, and students to gather, explore, generate, and communicate wisdom 
for organizations. So how can we be create wiser organizations and organizational practices? This has been a project I've been working on for about three, four years now. And in 2017, we did our debut event where we explored anger and how we actually utilize anger in, in work relationships so that it can help us. And how can we experience anger in a wiser fashion so it would not become a problem in our relationships and it wouldn't damage us. So our first event was a studio event. Thanks to Steve McKay and his team, it was fully recorded and we are still working on the edits, but we do have a website right now where you would see, you get a glimpse about the event. Then when we have the full website, it will probably be also posted there. Uh, but this event brought together two business professors and then two executives and one actress and one music professor to explore how we can aesthetically experience anger. Just as a quick example, our music professor helped us understand why we love listening Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which is one of the angriest pieces in, in music history. Uh, and yet we don't even want to come close to someone who is angry. And then we listen some segments from that symphony and also the Queen of the Night aria, same with like Mozart from Magic Flute. So while listening those and with the help of our music professor and other people on stage and the audience, we have discovered that there's a lot of repetition and intonation and variation pacing in those musical pieces, which means... Uh, our executives helped us uh, making that formulation. When we get angry as an executive, maybe we should just find a way to create more aesthetics around it by pacing it instead of outbursting in our anger, maybe expressing that anger in different times, in different variations, so people get more receptive to it, but also they start listening to us just like they are listening to a piece of music. And then we map that mm. onto Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. We listened to a little segment from there and saw that there's a lot of repetition and at the same time variation in that speech. So these are sorts of things. It's, it's very avant-garde. Mm. We learn a lot. Uh, and uh, so our next event, uh, um, we are working on our next event, probably in the spring semester, if everything goes well. Um, uh, it will be something along the lines of uh, studentship what it means to be a student, and also along the lines of loneliness, because we know loneliness is becoming a big problem also for students. So how can we explore loneliness from a wisdomness? So all that are available in our website, www.csus.edu slash CBA slash orgwise, O-R-G-W-I-S-E. So if, if they can just visit those uh, websites, and more importantly, if they can just reach out to us because we are actually very much uh, excited about creating possible collaborations with those people around the world, given the virtual nature of the projects that we are doing, create a virtual platform, and we can even meet in person in different events anywhere in the world. But we just want to create those conversations and get them going in an era where everything is getting really I would say like temperament-based and uh, so fast and so uh, shocking and there's so much surprises and very little room just to sit and reflect yes. how we are experiencing life. Uh, and I think we need more wisdom in that sense in our educational environments also. Well, it has been so wonderful to be inspired by your work today. And I congratulate you on the award, the Teaching and Innovation Award you won from CSU. And I can see why, <laughs> although I, I could tell why right when I before I even spoke with you. But it's so great to have the honor of talking with you today. And thank you so much for being a part of Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you very much, Bonnie. 
I'm so honored to have had this opportunity to talk to Hakan Urschelek. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If you'd like to look at the show notes for today's episode, they'll be at teachinginhighered.com slash 236. Hakan had mentioned a couple of resources. You might want to go Actually, you should. Don't not might. You should go over and really check out the film festival website and the Organizational Wisdom Studio Project. There are lots of links to some of the video that they do. And as he said, more is to come. So definitely worth checking that out. And if you don't want to have to remember to go look up the links, I'll have the link to the wonderful Brazilian version of the song that I had recommended a few episodes and the tribute to Peter Kaufman. If you want to Get that right in your inbox. Just go over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. See you next time. Have a great week.